Hey, and welcome back to Reclaiming Reality. My name is Ben, and today we are going to talk about identity. Because who are you? Like, who are you anyway? Who am I? What makes you up as a person? What makes me up as a person? Is it the culture we're brought up in? Is, is it the color of our skin? Is it our past failures? Is it our gender identity? What is it? Let's talk about that. It's a massive topic. So guys, not only today are we going to be talking about identity, we're actually going to be talking about identity for another at least three episodes. That's right. You got a four-parter coming your way. So at least four episodes. It might be five. It might be six. Honestly, I just start talking on these sometimes and we kind of just see where it goes. I have notes. We'll see if I even hit them. Who knows? Because I want to talk about who we are as people. As I started thinking about this, like I always do, I'm going to start off with a story. And I started thinking about fourth grade. Because when I was in fourth grade, just like I'm sure all of you, I got told to make a poster board of myself on the first day of class. My amazing teacher, Miss Appel, told us, hey, just make a poster board that describes you and bring it in. And and nine-year-old Ben got that instruction and was like, okay, yeah, makes sense. And that's about it. Like, he was just like, cool. So I go home and I Google pictures of football players because I was into football. And I was like, this is going to sum me up as a person because I understand myself. And I printed off some, like, jacked football player that I'd never seen before. But I was like, he's who identifies me. And, of course, I had to print off, like, a cross because I'm a Christian kid. And, gosh, I don't even remember what else I had on there. Probably, like, the bands I was into. And... It wasn't challenging, right? Like it wasn't daunting. It was just like, I'm going to make a poster board of myself. This makes perfect sense. I don't know how I did not have an existential panic breakdown freak out moment because that's actually a massive task. Like, hey, define yourself. And for some reason, there was something built into me at age nine that was like, I can do that. And now I'm 25 and I'm standing here like, I, I don't know how to do that. Like, what the heck? How, am, how are you supposed to define yourself? Our culture is telling a billion different things at, at every turn. Like, what would I put on there? Ask yourself right now, like, okay, however old you are, you have to bring a poster board in to class tomorrow. What is on your poster board? Isn't that a weird question? Like, what makes you up as a person? And that's the introduction I'd like to go with into identity, because I want to spend the first several episodes talking about what our culture says should be on that poster board. And then I would like to spend the final episode or two on what should be on that poster board, or maybe even what could be on that poster board. We're kind of in the tail end of the George Floyd Black Lives Matter um, protests, riots right now, they're, they're going on. And that's kind of what kicked a lot of this off for me as I sat down and I thought, huh, my buddy posted on Facebook that I am a black man. And I thought that was really interesting. I was like, huh, are you a black man or are you a man who is black? Are you, are you a gay man or are you a man who is gay? Are you a painter or are you a person who paints, right? We take all of these things that we like or these things that we are and and we factor them in a, into our identity without thinking much about it. I'm not saying that guy posting that he's a black man on Facebook is wrong. Of course not. 
it was just an interesting point of thought, right? Because as a white guy, how many white people post like, as I'm a white man, it's like, that just doesn't happen, right? So it was a really interesting kind of starting off point for me. Because we have a lot of terms associated with identity that we don't dig into very often, but we have this weird understanding of deep down. Things like find yourself, right? Like how many times have you heard that? Like apparently if you're a white college kid, all you have to do to find yourself is like backpack through Naples and drink wine and then you'll know yourself. <laughs> Maybe you have to go through some horrible instance in your family and then you hear people saying that they now know themselves. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to know yourself? What do you, what did you not know? Some people say, find yourself, right? And it's like, I'm, si I'm sitting here. I can see it. It's not straightforward and it's not simple. You have some people that try to use the personality tests, right? All the time you hear like, I'm an INTJ. I'm an ENFP. I'm a type seven wing four. I, I don't know that one very well. Um, gosh, what are the other popular ones? And I think those are the big two. We'll, we'll go with that for now. Um, but what what's the point of the personality test? The point of the personality tests is to help define you so that you can understand yourself better. So you will have a better grasp on your own identity, right? Which is eternally frustrating for me, guys. I'm this weird extroverted introvert, introverted extrovert, I don't know, but all the tests tell me I'm 100% extroverted and it's not true. Very frustrating. That's just a random thing. Um, I still remember, th th well, there's a family debate going on and one side, one part of my family says that we're German and the other part of my family says that we're Scotch-Irish. And when I found out that I might be Scottish, my shoulders went back my chest came out, kind of stood up straighter. And I was like, I might be Scottish. Do you know why? Because I have seen the movie Braveheart at least 10 times. And I was just like, I might be related to William Wallace. Oh my gosh. And I, <laughs> I am so sorry for that. But I was like, that would be so cool because he was the man. He fought for freedom. He was so brave. He was so awesome. And for some reason that factored into my identity. I went to a military college and I still remember as I became a senior getting a different level of rank. And I was like, oh my gosh, man, now I can stand straighter because I'm finally like the top dog at the college, right? That factored into my sense of identity. There have been so many different things that have factored into my sense of identity, and I'm sure that have factored into your sense of identity over the years. And we never talk about that. We never talk about, okay, well, what have we been given from our culture? Because we have to understand what we have been given, because if we don't understand that, we're never going to be able to move forward, because we have all of these assumptions baked into our cake from the culture we grew up in, from the family we grew up in, from the time we grew up in. And if we want to be able to answer these sorts of questions at all, we need to get as objective as possible. We need to, we're not going to be able to get fully objective, right? Like we're always going to have some biases floating around inside of us, but we have to be able to kind of detach ourselves and get far enough away from something to look at it and say, okay, what's going on in there? What was I taught about identity? What was I told should factor into my sense of identity? Was it sports 
growing up? Was your sports a big part of your identity? Was it your looks? Did that really factor into how you, your, your sense of self-worth and who you thought you were? Was it how much money you make? Was it your sexual identity? Was it who you want to sleep with? Was it how many people that you've slept with? Was it the amount of people you haven't slept with, Christians? Uh, <laughs> there are all of these things. So, we got to start talking about it. Without further ado, that's the longest intro ever, right? So where I would like to start um, is actually, it's a weird place. I think we have to start with some economics talk. I know it doesn't sound fun, but bear with me. I think it'll be pretty interesting. To give you the, the full summary, we have to understand the free market to understand Marxism, to understand neo-Marxism, to understand identity politics. We have to understand how that progression happened. And maybe you already know about that progression. Sweet. If not, stick around. This will be interesting. And if you already know it, maybe I'll tell you something you didn't know. So, to start off with the free market. The way the free market works is money is a measure of social value. Okay? So, you have Aaron who sells apples, and you have Bill who says bananas, because that's easy to remember. And Aaron goes up to Bill, and he has some money, and he says, hey, Bill, I want to buy some bananas. And Bill goes, well, that'll be $1 for three bananas. And Aaron's like, that sounds about right to me. So Aaron gives Bill $1 and gets three bananas. What Aaron is saying by making that trade is the value that I will get out of this transaction is equal to or greater than $1. You are providing me enough good to justify the money. The value that this is bringing to me or society at large is equal to or greater than the product, which is why if Aaron went to Bill and Bill said, hey, that'll be $10 per banana, Aaron would laugh and walk away because he is not getting enough value for the money, for the currency that he is giving. And if Bill sold his bananas for a penny, Bill's going to go out of business because he's not making any currency, but he's providing a ton of social value. So that's where you see the free market kind of being innately a fair system because the market sets prices for things. So if you're trying to sell things that no one's interested in, what you're trying to do is provide something with no social value. And the market has a way of telling you that. And the market's way of telling you that is no one wants your stuff, right? That's why the classic parents are like telling their kids to be engineers and doctors, because engineers and doctors provide a massive social benefit. And since they provide such a large societal benefit, they get compensated for that. Just like when I was in high school, I hardly made any money, right? Because I didn't really have a lot of social benefit to bring. But now that I'm a college graduate, I make a little bit more money because I now have some skills that I can use to increase the value of a company or the value of society at large which is why a guy with a PhD who makes way more money than I do probably because he has even more. So big, big, big takeaway is the free market attempts to set up a fair system where currency is a measure of social value added. Cool. So then this guy named Marx comes around. I think he was mid 1800s. I think he was born in the beginning of the 1800s. Um, and I think he died right before the 1900s. And he had a new idea. 
he base he would look at companies, right? So I think Amazon's the easiest one to take because I mean they're so freaking big right now. Everyone kind of talks about Amazon. Let's take Amazon. You look at Amazon and you see all these people on the ground. They're putting stuff into boxes. They're making sure that your order gets to the right place. They're fixing the machines, right? They're doing all this hands-on stuff. And then what's Jeff Bezos doing? Come on, look at this guy. He's friggin' bald, running around to meetings, just talking to people. He's not working. He's not getting his hands dirty. And Mark saw that and was like, what if we took the near, like, what is he worth? Almost a trillion at this point. What if we took the trillion dollars that Bezos has and just distributed that among the people who actually do the work? Because Bezos don't need that money. So that was his idea. Um, so what if we take the money from the bourgeoisie, right? School, this is all kicking back for all of us, I'm sure. The bourgeoisie, the people who have the money, the white collar, and give it to the blue collar, the proletariat, the working class, the people who are actually doing the work. And what's really interesting about this system is that instead of viewing the money as a measure of social value added, he measures it as oppression. Because in the free market system, you look at Jeff Bezos and you're like, oh, he has tons of money because he made a, a product and a system where millions of people saw that it would add value to their life, right? You, you want to use Amazon because it adds value to your life. So you want to use his system, you patronize it, you give it your money, and therefore he adds tons of social value to the country and to everyone in society. But the, the Marxian idea of that was he got that money by getting other people to do the work for him. Therefore, he is an oppressor. And it divided society into two different categories of people. Oppressor and oppressed. Which you absolutely have to key in on that. Oppressor and oppressed. Bourgeoisie and proletariat. It is extremely, extremely dangerous to divide up society like that. And if you want to learn more about Marx, which I highly recommend, um, because he's had a really influential, uh, well, he has been really influential on America and the West in general, is go read the Communist Manifesto. It's totally worth the read. Really interesting stuff. He'll, he'll get deeper into the bourgeoisie proletariat distinction that I'm going to in this video. And honestly, side note, read things you disagree with, okay? If you're like listening to this and you're the guy just on the far right, just complete free market, like you don't want a government to ever do anything, read the Communist Manifesto. And if you're on the far left and you already agree with it, make sure that you've read that and then read stuff on the far right. I'm not saying alt-right, right? I'm not, I'm not saying pick up a book by Richard Spencer, goodness gracious. I'm saying read things on the right and read things on the left to make sure you're a balanced person. I think too many people in America kind of get stuck, stuck in an ideological box and they never get out of it. And again, that's kind of what we talked about at the beginning of this video, I guess, is we need to be able to pull ourselves out as far as we can from what we're used to if we ever want any hope of being objective. So, yeah. Anyway, so Marx saw money instead of as a value of, or instead of as a measure of social benefit and social value added, he saw it as oppression. And the thing about Marx, guys, is that he was wrong, okay? Um, when Marx went to war 
over the elite. He kind of left everyone else behind because what he didn't realize is that we kind of need Jeff Bezos. We kind of need the people to take those risks. We can't just demonize the people at the top because they're the ones who make the companies. Money is actually a measure of social benefit. And of course it can be used in oppressive ways, but the system itself is not oppressive. But it's really close to realize where he was wrong because he was so, 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 so close to being correct. The best lies are actually mostly true, by the way. Um, that's something to chew on for a while. When Marx said that oppressors deserve justice to be done upon them, he was right. When Marx said that oppressed people deserve justice for them, he was also right. That isn't something false. That isn't something that any reasonable person disagree with. But what he got wrong was the definition of oppressor and oppressed. And this is absolutely crucial because as we're going to talk about in the next episode, we have now taken Marx's idea of economics and transferred it over into pretty much every facet of American life. And I would just like to wrap up with, if, if you are the sort of person that, that likes Marx's ideas, if you're the sort of person that thinks that Marx had a point when he said that the, the bourgeoisie has oppressed the proletariat, the, the common language that we hear nowadays, and even in presidential campaigns, is the 1%, right? Like, Bernie runs around talking about the 1% are going to destroy the 4%'s 22%. Um, <laughs> we're just going to see how many impressions we can do today, I guess. But the 1%, I think I've talked about this before. I used to live in India. And one of the interesting parts about living in India, uh, I, I was there in the early 2000s, is you get to see a completely different type of poverty than I saw in America. In America, we have such a lax view of poverty. We have such a wealthy idea of poverty. We look at poverty through such a rose-colored lens. And I say that because in America, we talk about things like someone will have an iPhone, air conditioning, central heating, a, a computer, a TV, plenty of food, but they can't buy the latest iPhone. And now, therefore, they're in poverty. I think $20,000, roughly, I think it might be twenty-two, is the cutoff for poverty in America. The average income in India is $1,700, American dollars, right, a, a year. That's their average income, not, not the poverty line. That is the average income. When I got there back in the early 2000s, most Indians were living on about $2 a day. That is poverty. We are so unbelievably blessed here in the West. And we have to realize that because Marx was wrong. Because when we start to think that Marx was right, we start to creep into policies that suit him. And no, this is not an economic show. But in order to understand where we get our modern perception of identity, we have to key in on Marx a little bit. And in order to understand why our modern conception of identity is incorrect, we also need to realize why Marx was wrong. Marx was wrong because you can't simply lump people together like that. You simply can't say, oh, you have money, therefore you're an impressor. It's not that simple. We have to be able to recognize that if we're going to move forward. And if you want extra details, if you want to look into that further, go check out the USSR, look at what Stalin did, check out Cambodia, check out Maoist China, check out Venezuela, really any country who has tried 
Marxist ideas. And, oh, I know, they've never been done right. Come on. Marx was wrong. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. That was part one of Identity. We're going to get into a lot more. I hope you're looking forward to it because I know I am. Thanks for listening.